0: Hello and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what He wants to do in your life.
1: We're going to be in Psalm 46 today. I'm going to read Psalm 46 for us. If you have the Pew Bible, it is on page 559. And I'm going to ask, would you stand with me while I read Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging, Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fail. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to we're going to jump into Psalm 46. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us this morning. Uh, we thank you for this church, for the legacy of this church, for the investment this church makes in people's lives. Lord, may you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, through your Word this morning. Would Your Holy Spirit illuminate Your Word in our hearts? Would we leave here this morning uh, with a greater desire to serve You, with a greater love for You in our hearts, with a greater love for Your Word? Lord, teach us, challenge us, encourage us, convict us. Lord, have Your way with us this morning through Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is not written as a textbook facts to be studied and learned for the purpose of having a better grasp of the subject matter. The Bible is not written as an instruction manual. If you do A and then B, then you will get result C. Or if you have problem X and you apply solution Y, then you will get result Z. We too often handle the Bible, especially us preachers, Uh, as a a textbook, read and studied so uh, so that we can be prepared to give informed and intelligent answers to a doubting and skeptical world. We too often desire to read the Bible as an instruction manual so that we can find simple, objective directions to repair our lives that are broken. Now please don't hear me wrong, the Bible is absolutely to be studied and learned, and the Bible does give us absolute instructions from the Creator on how we are to live as His creation. But when was the last time a textbook brought you tears of joy? Or when was the last time you were reading an instruction manual, and it brought conviction to your soul? except for that time when you finished that Ikea piece and there were still four bolts left over. When was the last time you strung a hammock in the shade or you brewed a warm cup of coffee and sat in your favorite chair and, uh, and poured over every word of a repair manual, even feeling the need to commit, to commit it to memory? The Bible is a beautiful, living, and active work written by men, inspired by God, and is supreme in every aspect of our lives. The Bible is also written as literature. We see law. We see narrative. We see love letters. We see prophetic vision. We see theological, theological treatise. And here in Psalm 46, we see poetry. The book of Psalms... Is a, is a collection of 150 poems, songs. God gave us in His book, right smack dab in the middle, He gave us a prayer book. He gave us a song book. And, and that prayer book, that song book, is full of, of dryness of soul. And it's full of joy, and it's full of, of angst. It's full of cursing one's enemies. It's full of questioning God. It's full of falling on one's knees and, and, and worshiping God. And when you read the Psalms, it, we have to ask the question, which I'm not going to answer this morning, but we have to ask the question: If this is what is included in the Song Book, the prayer book that God gave to us, what does that tell us about this God? In one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite movies, Dead Poets Society, there's a scene where uh where Mr. Keating, the, the literature teacher, uh reads the introduction to this to this book on poetry. And and J. Evans Pritchard, PhD, suggests that you chart the X and Y axis uh, b- based on importance of the work and perfection of the work, and you are to then take the poem and chart the work, and uh Dr. or Mr. Keating calls it excrement. He tells his, his students to tear that introduction out of their book in this famous scene, and he says, uh, famously, gentlemen, we are not laying pipe here. This is poetry. And too often, uh, we preachers will take a psalm and we'll, and we'll, tr- we'll handle it as if, we're, as if we're, we're laying pipe, as if it's some uh, instruction manual so that people can go home on, on Sunday afternoon with a plan to fix problem X by applying solution Y and getting the result Z. The psalms are poems. Psalms that are sung in beautiful language that communicates the psalmist's love for the Lord. The psalmist's longing to be with Him. uh, The psalmist's darkness of soul sometimes. And thirst for the Lord's presence. But most importantly, we see Jesus in the psalms. These psalms which were were composed and written and compiled hundreds of years before Jesus was born in a manger in Bethlehem. But every one of these psalms whispers Jesus' name. And in fact, many of them shout His name. In uh, in a, a commentary, it says of the psalms, In the psalms are foretold In all 150 psalms, 100 years before Jesus was born, are foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. His incarnation, humiliating sorrows, persecution, and cruel death are disclosed in the plaintive cries of a despairing sufferer. And His resurrection and ascension, His eternal priesthood, His royal dignity... His prophetical office, the purchase and bestowal of the gifts of the Spirit, the conversion to the nation, the establishment increase and perpetuity of the church, the end of time, the blessedness of the righteous who acknowledge, the ruin of the wicked who reject this King of Zion, are predicted in the language of assured confidence and joy. This is Jesus in the 150 Psalms. The Psalms are realistic, they're emotional, and they paint a beautiful picture of Jesus. So we see that in in Psalm 46. Psalm 46 starts, as many psalms do, with a superscript. It tells us this psalm is for the director of music of the sons of Korah. According to Alamoth, we don't really know what that means, a song. Sons of Korah wrote this psalm. To understand the Psalms of, or the Sons of Korah, we, we, we see the, these Korahites in the Old Testament. Specifically, if you go to Second Chronicles 20, there's this story that unfolds that's, that's a, that's a pretty incredible story. There's, there's an army that's assembled, an intimidating, uh, even in the view of, of, of the Israelites, in the view of God's people, unbeatable army that is assembled against them. Jehoshaphat, the king prays in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, he says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So here they are in this very difficult situation. Jehaziel, a prophet, comes to the king, and he tells him in verses 15 through 20, he said, This is what the Lord says to you. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Really encouraging words for the king to hear. However, uh, Jehaziel, I don't really see a plan in that. So what are we actually supposed to do? Well, here's what they do. The Levites, the ones who, who did the work of, of the ministry in, in the temple, and the Korahites, the choir, were commissioned to go before the army and to, quote, sing to the Lord and praise Him. And verse 22 says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Basically, here's what happens. The choir goes in front of the army and begins to sing to the Lord, and these three enemy factions start fighting each other and are destroyed before the army of God. And the Korahites and the Levites... The worshipers of God probably look at each other and say, whoa, what was their plan? They're saying to the Lord, the prophet said, this this battle is not going to be yours, it's going to be the Lord's. So those are the Korahites, the ones standing in front of the army singing. These are the ones who penned this Psalm 46. Those are the ones who penned the words, God is our refuge and strength. Verse one, an ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way. You ever thought the earth was giving way? Loss of a loved one, parents divorced, financial ruin, depression, COVID. Notice the promise of the psalmist in Psalm 46 is not. The promise of the psalmist is not that the earth is not going to give way. In fact, the promise of the psalmist is the exact opposite. The psalmist is saying the earth is going to give way. This isn't a uh, everything's going to be all right sort of Bob Marley tune. This is The psalmist is specifically saying it's not going to be okay. Though the earth give way, the earth is going to give way. But what he says in verse two and three, therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. The earth is going to give way. The mountains are going to fall into the heart of the sea. The waters are going to roar and foam and the mountains will quake. And woe to anyone who puts their trust in anything of this world. Why? Because it's going to give way. Jesus even promised it, right? In this world, you will have what? Trouble. Tribulation. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. If your stock is placed in this world, you are going to be crushed, because it is going to give way. The promise is that God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Very present now. Very present when the earth gives way and very present indeed for all eternity. And notice what happens in verse 3. Look at the end of verse 3. You might have to even look to the side and see a word that you might skip if you continue reading on down. It says, Selah. Selah is that word in the Psalms that encourage us to stop, think, and rest, pause. It is, it is literarily, it is musically, completely and totally counterintuitive to this, to this psalm. The earth is giving way, the waters are roaring and foaming, the mountains are falling into the sea. Selah. If God is our refuge and strength, We can at that point pause. We can rest. Because He is our very present help in trouble when the earth gives way. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. An interesting line in this psalm. The city, the city of God, is Jerusalem. It's a real place, especially for the psalmist before Christ, this was a real place. It was a, it was a city. It was, it was on a hill. It was a fortress. It was surrounded by a wall. The, the temple was there. Even the temple was on the Temple Mount. And in each of these three stanzas, if we divide Psalm 46 by the Selahs, We have three stanzas. In each of the three stanzas, what we see is we see worldly chaos combined with, alongside of, godly, divine peace. First stanza, uh, though the earth gives way, God is our refuge. In the third stanza, at the end, it talks about wars and spears and chariots, But God will be exalted in the earth. And here in this in the second stanza, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Again, this is going to happen. But the river, whose streams make glad the city of God. Notice the the sort of poetic, beautiful contrast in the first stanza, we see these waters that are roaring. And raging and foaming, and in the second stanza we see these waters, who 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 make glad the city of the Lord. But there's a if you're a geography student, or if you're a a, a psalmist in in you know hundreds of years before Christ, uh, you, you knew something about Jerusalem that might sound strange in this psalm. Uh, there is no river in Jerusalem. There isn't a river now in Jerusalem. There wasn't a river when this psalm was written. There is no river in Jerusalem. So did this psalmist make a mistake? Uh, is he weirdly or even stupidly unfamiliar with the geography of Jerusalem? Well, certainly not. Because there is no water on earth that can do what this psalmist promises. This water, this river, will make glad the city of God. The psalmist is talking about what in the Old Testament would call the day of the Lord. And we see this language all throughout the Old Testament. In Zechariah 14, it says, talking about that day of the Lord, that day when the Lord is going to come. It says, on that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Half of it east to the Dead Sea, half of it west to the Mediterranean Sea in the summer and winter The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and His name the only name. Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 47. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. This is a vision that that God has given to Ezekiel. And I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east for the temple faced east. The water is coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows from them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Or in Revelation 22, that vision that God gave John of heaven, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. This is not about a river in Jerusalem. There is no river in Jerusalem. This is the Lord bringing the water of life. The Psalm is about Jesus. This is about the, this is about Jesus, the creator and sustainer of life, giving life to his children, real life. The life that John talks about over and over again in his gospel, uh, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Or when, when uh, John said, in him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. Or when Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Or when Jesus said at the resurrection of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This is the living water of Psalm 46. This is what Jesus spoke of to the woman at the well when he said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. This is Jesus. In verse 7 of Psalm 46 and in verse 11, we see a repeated phrase, which often happens in the Psalms, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. It's repeated twice. The Lord Almighty, some translations say, the Lord of hosts. That translation in the Hebrew means the Lord of the angel armies. Isn't that a cool picture? The Lord of the angel armies. We don't don't necessarily in our culture like this warring language anymore. We see a lot of it in the Old Testament. Maybe it rubs you the wrong way. But make no mistake, there is a spiritual battle being waged. And we serve the Lord who has angel armies at His disposal. says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob. Jacob being Abraham's grandson. The one who God changed his name to Israel. So we see uh, the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who both commands the angel armies and also is the God of Jacob. The here, present, now with his people both here and in the spiritual realm both now and for all eternity the lord almighty the god of jacob and then the money maker in this psalm verse 10 the one that maybe you know every time you read a psalm you come to that that one phrase you're like oh yeah this psalm be still and no. One of the things you have to do, and it's often tricky when you read the Psalms, is you always got to look at the pronouns. And oftentimes the pronouns will shift halfway through the Psalm, or they'll go back and forth between I and he. And that happens here in this Psalm. The, the psalmist is writing uh, about God until we get to verse 10, and the pronouns shift from the third person, he. To the first person, I. We see God begin to speak. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Um, I am a man of, of very outspoken pet peeves. If you know me well, you probably know some of my pet peeves. And Jeff Lashley just already this morning totally stepped on my toes and, 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 and I was, I was, I was enraged with anger as I was sitting in that seat right there. When he talked about this is Thanksgiving week, we can celebrate Christmas officially now. No. First of all, am I right, Don? It's Michigan week. Yeah. Um, (laughs) second of all, I, I, I have even, uh, petitioned Congress towards a constitutional amendment protecting all things Christmas until after Thanksgiving. It's one of my pet peeves. Finding out the gender of one's child before it's born is, is, is probably second on my pet peeve list. And there's others. I mean, you name it, just bring up the topic and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's right and I'll tell you what's wrong. And some of them are, are, are just for me. Some of them are Okay, I don't do it that way, but I understand if you want to, but I'm never going to. But some of them I'm, I'm an evangelist about. Like, not only do I not want to find out the gender of my child before it's born, I don't want you to. I don't want it. In fact, I think it should be illegal. <laughs> all you planners, like, we all want to paint the bedroom, and I want to... Listen, you got the rest of their lives to paint the bedroom. One of my pet peeves... Is uh is when people say, and 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 this is because I'm a Bible snob, is when people misquote scripture, or when people do it wrong, and you see it all the time when you see celebrities and politicians start trying to talk about the Bible, and you're like, ooh, sometimes I just I just fingernails on a chalkboard, I just wanna just wanna stand up and, and correct everybody. I probably shouldn't. But we do it with this verse, and we do it in such a way that sounds right. But it's completely and totally wrong. We insert something when when people say, Yeah, you know, it says in the Psalms, be still and know that I am God, and then I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted among the earth. Did you see what I did there? You might have missed it. There's no then. It doesn't say that. It says, Be still and know that I am God. among the earth this is not an if then statement because we sort of have this approach to this passage of if we do what we need to do then god will be god no god is going to be exalted among the nations praise god he is going to be exalted among the earth praise the lord my desire in this psalm in verse 10 is that we would grow simply to love Jesus for who he is. Not for what he's going to do for you or for what he's going to do for me. My desire is that we would love Jesus and not the things of Jesus. For example, we love peace. And we love, we want to have peace. And praise God for His peace that surpasses knowledge. And we want protection, the things of God. And these things are good, but we love peace and we love protection. And yes, He is our refuge and strength. And we, and we want to receive blessings from Him. And yes, praise God, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. But then when those things go away, peace, protection, blessing, that upon which you have placed your trust is gone, and oftentimes your faith crumbles. Because you don't love Jesus, you really just love the things of Jesus. Being a part of a church where there's fellowship and community, And receiving joy, but only receiving joy when the world gives you joy, not joy based on who Jesus is, simply for who Jesus is. But if our trust is in the Lord himself, if we love Jesus just for who Jesus is, because he is going to be exalted among the nations, he's going to be exalted among the earth, whether I'm still or not, then peace will be ours. Protection, but real eternal spiritual protection. And our blessings that we see from Him, we're all going to give them back to Him in worship anyways. He will be exalted in the earth. It's not about you. It's about His glory. Okay, why then, Jared, the command to be still? God's going to be exalted anyways. That's not for God's sake. That's for our sake. Our perpetual busyness and hustle, crushing it, taking the next mountain, is an easy way for us to actually just provide for ourselves, isn't it? Maybe maybe you've heard this, or maybe you've even said it yourself, pray as if it all depends on God, work as if it all depends on you. Uh, I think that's really bad advice, and I think that lacks faith, and I think that's the antithesis of Psalm 46.10. God created us in a weird way. Have you ever thought about it? You have to sleep. There have been people that have tried to like set Guinness World Records of how long can I not sleep, and you know what happens? They always lose. Sleep always wins. Why? Because God created you. He created me with a need for sleep. It's a parable. It's a walking, talking, living parable that you you have to stop every eight hours. You know what's going to happen when you stop for eight hours of every day? God continues to be God. It's It's an exercise in faith every time you lay your head on your pillow. And not only that, but he commanded us to rest one out of every seven days. To be still and to trust, to know that he's in control and I'm not. Even if I stop working for seven days, even if I stop doing the you have to's and you should do's for, for once out of every seven days, God is still on his throne. I oftentimes get pushback on talking about Sabbath. That's an Old Testament thing. We're on this side of the cross, so we don't have to. I mean, you don't say that about murder, right? You don't say that about adultery. Yeah, but Sabbath, that was a, that was a Jewish thing. I'm not Jewish. The pastor said it to me this time once. He said, If I, if we as pastors were to break any one of the Ten Commandments, except for the fourth commandment, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. If we're to break any one of those Ten Commandments, we lose our job. If, if I as a pastor uh, uh, murder somebody, if I as a pastor start worshiping other gods before God or begin this habit of, of just regularly taking the Lord's name in vain, I'm probably going to lose my job. But me and many other pastors in this country, if we forsake the Fourth Commandment to remember the Sabbath, and keep it holy, and continue to work and work and work. might even get a promotion. We praised for it. Oh, man, you're doing it. Great job. And pastors will talk about how busy they are, and I'm so busy, man. Praise Jesus. Doing the work of the Lord, except that the Lord told you to not to. Once out of every seven days. If you struggle with being still, I would ask you the question. Does your inability to rest reveal a lack of trust that God has your best in mind? If you rest well, I'd ask you the question, is it about you or is it about or is your resting about God's glory? And if you are resting well for God's glory, I would encourage you to invite others into it, it's totally countercultural, and it's a beautiful thing. We did a we did a series in the Psalms this uh, this last summer at our church, and one of the we had a statement that we said about every Psalm, and I'm going to say it about this Psalm, and, and it's true of all 150 of them. It says. Everything that is true here in Psalm 46 is true because of Jesus. Everything that is true in the Psalms is true because of Jesus. Jesus is our refuge and strength. I mean, this is is the gospel, right? He bore our sin, our guilt, our shame, and praise the Lord, we bear it no more because he is our refuge and strength. Jesus makes glad the people of God. Salvation is ours through Jesus. We are victorious through Christ. He has won the spiritual battle and is fighting for us the earthly battle. Jesus will be exalted among the nations, will be exalted in the earth. Because of that, You and I can be still. We can rest. We can stop. And we can know I am. We can know the Lord God Almighty. That verse 10, be still and know that I am God, is a perfect picture of salvation. Being still and knowing that He is God is is putting us in a position of I am incapable, and you are God. That's the gospel, isn't it? If we ever come to Jesus with our list of, okay, Jesus, look at all that I did, are we good now? It doesn't work like that. In fact, I would say that's the anti-gospel. The anti-gospel, is that's the anti-gospel. The real gospel is when we come to Jesus and say, here is my sin... Here is my mess. Here is my, to use Romans 3, fallen shortness. I receive salvation from you because only you can do it. Psalm 46.10 is the gospel. Be still. You can't. Don't. Don't even try. Because Jesus will be exalted because he can Not by works, not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Everything that's true of Psalm 46 is true because of Jesus. The sons of Korah who wrote this psalm, they lived it, they experienced it. They saw God's provision of victory in battle. Battle's not mine, the battle's the Lord's. That's what the prophet said, but oh, it's scarier out on the battlefield. And they saw it. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, we could go around the room and we could could take a long time sharing the stories of how God has provided for you in your life, of how God has worked in your life. In spite of you, sort of uh, fixing what you have broken. Even when we stop, he continues. Even when we mess it up, he redeems. We share the same story as, as the sons of Korah. Because the sons of Korah had previous battles where they went out uh, and they fought and they lost. But this battle... They told their kids about, they told their grandkids about, they wrote it down in scripture so that it would be shared for all of eternity. Because remember that time? That's a story about life. We just were still, we just sang. And kids, grandkids, it was amazing. The Lord fought the battle for us as he said he would because God keeps his promises. Maybe you're in a place in your life right now where, where verse 2 is, is a little too real for you. The uh, earth is giving way, it feels like. Or maybe you're in a beautiful season of your life where you feel like I'm just in awe every day of God's exaltation. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Everything that's true of this psalm is true because of Jesus. Would we know that He is Lord because He will be exalted among the nations? He will be exalted in the earth. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for Your Word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of the Levites and the Korahites who sang praises to you and you fought the battle for them. We thank you, Lord, even for the promise uh, that, that the nations are going to rage, that the earth is going to give way. But as ones who put our faith and trust in you, we can, we can stop, we can say la because you are God. Lord, you will be, you are being, you have been exalted among the nations, exalted in the earth. And Lord, we we rest in Jesus this morning. We trust in Jesus this morning. Lord, would you, using Psalm 46, would you increase our faith this week to depend on you? And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church Podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Call Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that, so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.